Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And on the Thought Leader Podcast, we search the world for interesting and fascinating and sometimes remarkably smart guests. And today, we travel to, well, the East End of London and New York and various other places where we're talking with Charlie, who has two eyes. Yeah, I was going to say we were, we're dotting all the I's, but not crossing any T's. Yeah, so Charlie, with a, not with an IE, but with an II, sir, great guy, Charlie Sabanya. I'm not sure what he is. He's an actor, a singer, a dancer, a chef. What else? He's a Siddhartha kind of figure. He is. Uh, just, he's experienced everything. He's lived a bunch of places. I love the name dropping in here, which is not the typical name dropping. He talks about some folks he's rubbed elbows with, like celebrities, but he also name drops his team and his family, which mm-hmm. is pretty awesome. It's, it's fabulous. So, greetings yeah. to all of them if they're listening in. And uh, this is a really fun interview. Yeah, and, and there's some very deep thinking going on about a third of the way through the interview, so look out for that. Here's Charlie Sabunia. So nice to talk with you, Charlie. I, I mean, I have to say right off the bat, two things I'd love you to talk about. One is you obviously just told us about why you're wearing this uh, awesome chef's outfit, but you can tell the listeners. And the second thing is, which I'm sure you get all the time, how did you end up with the cool name Charlie with two eyes? Excellent. So it's event season, as I'm sure the listeners are aware. So at the time of recording this, it was election season, and it's also event season, gala season, wedding season, and bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs and a whole nine yards. So today you'll see me, I am, or hear me rather, I'm a qualified chef, and I was a year below Jamie Oliver, went to the same college and university as me, and one of our lecturers was, surprise, surprise, Gordon Ramsay, and I worked with Gordon Ramsay as well. So... As always, I'm covering event season, so I'm on-camera host for StyleCulture.tv, which is run by Addy Media, so we go out and we cover events. And the way I got my name, which is spelt with two I-I's, is when I was a young, young boy back in London, I was signed to Warner Brothers East West France, recorded an album, released a single, which was top 10 in the France charts, and the marketing department, came up with the letters two IIs, so C-H-A-R-L-I-I. So that's what some of my advance went to, paying the marketing department to come up with the two I's because they work so hard. But no, I loved my time at Warner Brothers East West France, and um, it is a result of me owning my own property back in London. So that's how I came up with my name, and that's why I'm wearing this wonderful chef's uniform. And when you sure. when you came up with that that name, Charlie, with the with the publicists, how did you feel about it? Did you did you feel like now now people have to say Charlie, <laughs> or is there like a were you able to kind of figure out what it meant to you? Um, well, what it was because I was always called Charlie. 
My real name is Charles Sabunya. So my mum and dad gave me, my mum and dad are from Uganda, East Africa. Us, the siblings, were born in London. But um, it was always Charlie, because I'm a performing artist, so I'm a trained dancer as well. So I went to college. And, you know, when you're an artist, you've always got to have, like, I suppose, your persona name. You know, a lot of these artists... And and the way you just said it was Charlie. Yeah, because that's how the French... That's how the French said it. I was signed to Warner Brothers East West France. So my manager and the whole corporate identity, so the marketing, the record company, the label, was all based in France. So when they said Charlie, they would be, they'll pronounce it like Charlie, like the new (laughs) film Gucci, which is coming out starring Lady Gaga. Gucci is Italian. So when they say Gucci, they say Gucci different to how Europeans or Americans say Gucci. The same with Versace is, is said, pronounced differently in um, in Italy. So I'll kind of pry a little bit more because you've done everything. Okay. So you've lived, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and uh, so and you met all kinds of weird people and you've been all kinds of places. How did you end up? figuring that out kind of early in your life that you wanted to travel, you wanted to get outside of just, obviously the UK is full of people from everywhere, but how did you, when did you first realize that you wanted to um, be a lot of different things and travel to a lot of different places? Well, it started, I suppose, when I was growing up, all uh, myself and uh, my brother and sister, we all went to boarding school, all different ones. So, um, I suppose when you're in boarding school, what it does teach you is all about independence and looking after oneself. And I remember being in boarding school and always like outside the window and in our playground looked across to the River Thames. So I'd always dream about jumping into the River Thames and swimming onto the other side and do all these different things. So I suppose at boarding school, you're always like a dreamer. Because I wanted to always go into the arts and I studied university in the arts, my mum and dad, like I said, are from Uganda, East Africa. And when when you have African parents, they always want you to be a doctor or a lawyer. So being an artist is like, well, that's not a proper job, you know, to provide for your family. So they said, that's all well and good. You wanted to be an artist, but you've got to have something to fall back on, you know, when you're in between those next jobs. The reason why I became a qualified chef is, I suppose, to have a plan B, but I always loved cooking. That's what my mum taught me. And because I am, you know, signed to a, I suppose, a talent agency, you know, in London, you travelled. So you got to see a lot of the world, which is what has um, encompassed my political point of view and the way I look at the world, because we've been able to travel the world like the place I want to retire to is Israel Tel Aviv you know when I went to Jerusalem and then you walk on the sacred steps you know I broke down and cried in Jerusalem and anybody any of the listeners who have been to Israel um, Tel Aviv and especially Jerusalem you understand the reason why you get emotional and something comes over you you could be an atheist you could be a Christian you could be a Muslim you could be you know believe in Judaism but something happens to you when you're in Jerusalem, when you're in Israel, that you come back to your homeland, whether it be America or Europe and, or even Africa or Middle East, and you come back a changed person. So that's how I got to travel because of my work and my mum and dad. 
I had the joy of living in Jerusalem for a while. So I, I love the city. Yes. It's an unbelievably emotional place. Everyone feels the emotion. It's like you can you can cut it with a knife, right? Yeah. So I'm curious where you feel kind of your home is. And I, I, I want to kind of go deep for a second. So because you're a black man who grew up in the UK, lives in the United States in the middle. It's Black Lives Matter with some more things happening here, there, and everywhere. African-Americans are slightly different than African-British. Uh, you're in Jerusalem because you're a human being and human beings resonate together in different ways and conflict and everything. How do you see the whole world? Like, what's what's your vision of who you are, what the world is, how it, where it's going, all that stuff? Wow, that's a loaded Big question. question. <laughs> yeah. So the first part of the question is, where is home? I asked myself that so much, especially we all did during the lockdown. For us in America, we've been on a lockdown, you know, for over two years. And you're in New York City right now. Yeah, I'm right? in New York City, but um, I'm hoping I'm going to get a link to this Thought Leader podcast and I'm going to send it all around to my family and friends. And we're all... Even though we're born in London, a lot of my family and friends live abroad. So we're all everywhere. Like my sister's in Asia. You know, my best friends are in Europe. Some are live, living and working in Africa. Some of us are in America. So I'm going to send this. So it really does make you think about where is home, right? If everyone's spread everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And then that is what um, my sister's twins, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for mentioning this, but that's what my sister's twins are going through at the moment you know they're they're 22 at the time of recording this podcast and granted they're in they're like us we're from england but they were when they were four they came to washington dc you know did that whole washington dc life you know um sidwell friends and the whole nine yards everybody knows sidwell friends is every president's child goes there then they move on the eve of their 16th birthday to asia now they're going to university in the united kingdom so the answer to your question is, when you've lived in um, different countries, and I don't want to sound, you know, showing off to the listeners, but when, like the twins, when you've lived globally, you get a different concept. So you ask that question all the time. Where is home? I go back to London and I see people who I've grown up with and you see the world in a different light. You're not showing off. They ask, oh, what have you done? And you're not showing off what you've done, but you see the world in a different light because you've had a chance to live and work further than Brooklyn and 42nd Street. So where is home to me? I don't know. I'm still asking myself. I love the Mojave Desert, Lucerne Valley, which is where I spent Thursday until Monday morning when I lived in Los Angeles. So I love that place. That felt like home to me. But where is home? I don't know. I mean... My mum and dad are going to shout at me, Uganda, East Africa, where it's where we were born. So that's another home. And London, where my property is, that's obviously where it's home because, you know, bricks and mortar, that's what I own. So that is going to be my home as well. And you mentioned um, BLM. BLM is, um, like you just said, Kent, it resonates different to people who are from Africa and live in London um, or live in Europe. So that is a different type of African than an African-American, which is what um, I try to explain 
to a lot of people in America every single day and every single week, every month and every year, there is a big difference in that culturally and historically. For example, people will probably figure, well, what does he mean by that? Well, my last name, as you can see on the podcast, is Sabunya, because my mum and dad are from Uganda. It means something. My middle name is Masisi, because when my grandfather was born, there was a volcano going on. So your first son that's born is given the name Masisi. So we have an identity and history behind us, which is from Uganda, which is different from what I've personally found to African-Americans because what the media on what CRT teaches them is constantly about oppression. You descendants are all from slaves. You must feel oppressed. And majority of the people who are from, who are expats living in America don't necessarily feel oppressed. I have a good friend who's from Nigeria. He works with Big Pharma, lives in New Jersey, but now he's moved to, surprise, surprise, Texas. You know what I mean? So he doesn't feel oppressed. You know, he lived in, you know, Germany. He we worked in San Francisco, you know, Silicon Valley. He doesn't feel oppressed. He's just bought his um, property in, in Texas, you know, mortgaged. He didn't find any racist abuse when he went to the bank and he got a mortgage and he owns his own property he's not feeling oppressed so so even though you you might at times feel some sort of racism against you or this and that you don't have that sort of cultural history of oppression well i I, what, what i've stopped doing i've stopped calling it when i'm living in america racism i don't think personally it's racism What I personally think it is, I put it down to the unknown, or if you want to use a sharper word, because I am from boarding school, ignorance. That's what I think it is. It's the fear of the unknown. So when people have met me and they're apprehensive towards me, but yet all of a sudden when I speak, they're like, oh my goodness, you're amazing. You're going to meet my daughter. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? They have a different... You sound you sound like the prince. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I'm saying. They have a different... But why is that? When you see me on the subway, you want to move away from me. Probably because I'm not wearing a mask. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, no, but they want to move away from me. But then when they hear my accent, they're like, oh my goodness, I love you. And it comes from male and female. So I don't think it's necessarily racism. And I know the listeners are going to say, Charles, it is racism when you're going to wake up. I think it's just ignorance because as you are both aware, uh, Randy and Kent, that a lot of people necessarily haven't traveled outside of the US. So the only preconceived idea they've got of somebody, because you mentioned color, the only preconceived idea they have of somebody who is black is what they're seeing in the movies, what they're seeing on CNN or Fox. So that begs the question that, when you're all you're seeing is images of somebody in a hoodie holding a gun, bouncing a basketball, taking their clothes off or holding a mic, then you're going to have a preconceived of somebody who walks into work or goes for an interview, especially when it's getting fed over time through social media. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> that was really good, actually, Charlie. Um, I think 
stereotypes. We attach stereotypes to people who are different from us and we we create that from what we see in the media. Um, I'm Australian totally. and everybody thinks I'm Crocodile Dundee, you know. So wrestle alligators or crocodiles that was the only reason i was friends with you i thought you didn't you don't wrestle i don't i don't wrestle crocodiles i've never wrestled crocodiles and i probably won't and i and i don't dive with steve Irwin. well i didn't so tell me charlie I, i'm interested in your culinary exploits so you you went to culinary school you were a year behind jamie oliver yeah he's a year above me yeah and um Gordon Ramsay was the guy. Did he ever tell you you're a fucking idiot? Yeah, he tells all of us that. Yeah? But that's what makes you work harder. That's what makes you work harder. And um, basically, it's, um, it's um, I suppose I'm giving out a plug term. So it's Westminster College, and also they have a university as well. Mm -hmm. And we were all there. And the reason why Gordon Ramsay was there is that I had my lecturer, but then when you do, as part of, you know, being a qualified chef, you've got to do practical and a written exam. And then you do a rehearsal of your practical where you've got to, you know, cook a menu. And then Gordon Ramsay would just give you, you know, advice after doing your practical on, you know, things you can improve on, ways you can cut corners so that you can get against the clock and then you can speed up your process and then have more time on maybe the delicatessens. So, how it looks to the eye, as opposed to, you know, spending so much time, I don't know, I'm doing it in lame terms, like slicing onions, you know what I mean? You could do different things with your mise en place, so therefore, you know, you beat the clock and you come away with a good grade, which is what I did. But I love Gordon Ramsay, I work with him, and how you see him on the television is not how he is in real life. I think, oh. personally, and I've always got to put, I think, so we don't get sued, it's America, I think that he plays up for the camera, which... Because all three of us are working in media, we understand that. Because I was told that when I lived in America, oh, can you be a bit more like this? And can you be a bit more like that? And, you know, I was put through speech therapy so that I could, you know, say things like can and water, you know. So basically, when I came over to America, you know, you're, you're young and you're eager and you've got your paperwork. You're like, America, here I am. So you do anything that anybody says. So you're like, yes. So you go through speech therapy, you do this and, you know, you try and change the way you dress and you speak so you could be more marketable and branding because that's what it's all about. It's all about ROI. If people are going to invest in you, they want to return on their investment. But then, um, lo and behold, I woke up. I woke up very quickly. Cool. Um, I, I'm interested. What part of London did you grow up in? Well, I was born in Walthamstow, mm -hmm. East London. Then, um, like I said, I went to boarding school, which was in Putney, West London. And then secondary school was in Westminster. All the boys go to Westminster. All the girls go to Greco, which is where Naomi Campbell went. And then from Westminster, I went to the university and College of Westminster and Goldsmiths University. And then after that, you're meant to end up in a hedge fund or like, you know, you know, working in some big corporate you know, yeah. company. Yeah. I put my two fingers up at that and followed the arts. So that's what I was going to say. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> so, so then what happened was, what happened was I was in like, you know, West London and, uh, you know, these private schools. And then I was coming back with all these bad reports from school because, you know, I was seen then as 
as I suppose I would call Nan CRT, a radical. You know what I mean? Because I was out on my own limb and, you know, not following the rules as such laid down to me at boarding school. You know, you want to be, you know, you want to be free like what we were doing like in the music. I mean, it was bloody the 80s or whatever. It was all about, you know, 80s or 90s or whatever. And it's London. You know what I mean? It's all about, you know, you've got the Beatles. It's all about being radical and, you know, identity and West London people, the listeners can understand it. So anyway, it's quite long story short, I was coming back with all these bad reports. And then my mum said to my dad, his name's James, James, look at all these bad reports Charles is bringing back. Why are we wasting all this money sending him to private school if he's come back with all these bad reports? So lo and behold, what they did, they took me out of um, private school and the boarding schools and put me into a school in East London. So I was there in East London, tight-fitted uniform in East London because, you know, you, you wore what you were given at the uniform with this posh accent. And yet again, like it is in America, people were laughing at me, saying, why do you talk like this? Or why do you talk like that? You're black. Why are you talking like this? And I was there with an Afro because maybe didn't think about things like perms, which is what everybody was doing then back then in London. And then I had a best friend who's my best friend today, called Vance and he took me under his wing and he showed me all the ropes and we all went round to our friend's house every Friday and Saturday night, as I'm sure all the listeners would do. You do all the things that young people do. And they had like all the girls and the boys were perming their hair. They permed my Afro. My mum and dad were shocked when I came back the next morning when they saw it, they shaved my hair off. You know what I mean? So it was all about stimulating. So I then changed my accent once again and it became more East Londony, And it was a great time. It was East London. I was a posh kid. And, you know, I was, you know, growing up in East London and seeing what was happening in East London. And they took me down to the pubs and the clubs. And there was people like Amy Winehouse, which I love to this day. Amanda is not how she's seen in the media. The media are very clever once again, painting this picture of Amanda, of Amy Winehouse. You had Kate Moss and... Oasis and it was a crazy wicked excellent time when you're hanging around with people who are really cool and that's how I lost my posh accent and went to an East London accent. <laughs> nice so so Charlie uh, singer, recording artist, dancer chef, program host, what's next for Charlie? Where, where are you going? What's next for Charles or Charlie is finding out who's going to rent my property next. <laughs> I don't know. No. Um, what's next for me? Um, what I'm doing at the moment is I am working with a beautiful Swiss lady, Adriana, and we run styleculture.tv, which is brought to you by Adi Media. And we go out and we cover content. Adriana, she's for, you know, she's Swiss. She's excellent. We fight to for nil like brother and sister over content of how it should go out because we are the owners of our own content. So we bang out content like no one's business and it's available on Roku and Amazon and we have global distribution. We covered everything from the inauguration from Joe Biden to the vax, the vaccine mandate, which is happening at the moment. We've covered Afghanistan, abortion, you know, we cover everything, news and current affairs, pop culture, fashion, the whole nine yards. So that's what's up now. We are covering um, elections, obviously. 
That's a hot topic. And um, vaccine mandate. So that's what's happening. That's what's up for me next. Banging out that content, which is crazy because it's around the clock. Um, Asia is like 12 hours different. So when everybody's sleeping, that's the morning. So we just bang out. Bang, we're banging out content. And um, we have lovely ladies who's helping us as well, getting the word out, which is Jojo and Joanne and Krista. Yeah, there's like five of us on board at the time of this podcast going out. And um, we are just rocking and rolling with that, Style Culture TV. And what kind of folks are you reaching out to? Who, who, who would you like to kind of contact you and, and visit you at that site or any of your other work? So the styleculture.tv demographic genre and that type of stuff is 18 to 30. And it's male and female, which you probably can't say that now because of the pronouns. So they, he, she, we, whatever the nine yards hashtag is at the time of this podcast going out. So yeah, 18 to 30, we have our content and it just goes out. And it's interesting. Um, we done a wonderful interview that you could see on Getty with Caitlin Jenner, which is out on, you know, on starculture.tv. So that hit outside of the demographic and the age group. But, um, you know, we've done that. You know, we've we've got posts that you can see, which is covering um, Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg. So we're covering things from left and right, from both sides of the aisle, you know. So Democrat or Republican or Labour or Conservative when we're sending over to Europe. So we're, we're um, banging out that. That's That's what we're doing. That's who we're focusing on. So nice to speak with you, Charlie, uh, Charlie, I should say, Charles Sabunia. So, so fun to chat. We could talk to you for hours, I think, just uncovering all your stories. And uh, I really fool you. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Thank you so much for talking with us and um, can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, thank you. Neither can I. <laughs> it keeps the bank manager happy and my taxes. <laughs> nice. There you go. See you later. Well, thank you for that, Charlie. Wow. I, I love it when guests surprise us, and today you truly surprised me with the depth of your thinking and the thought leadership that you were, that you show for somebody so young. And from an artist particularly, it's, it's particularly rare. So uh, congratulations for being a really true thought leader. I have to say, so the, the nuances of the accents I didn't quite catch, but I'm gonna have to ask Randy later. <laughs> the difference between the London accent and the the, the uh, boarding school accent and all those. But I, I did think it was really funny when Charlie <laughs> did the couple American words uh, in there. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, you speak all those languages, right? I speak all those languages fluently. I can even read and write. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, uh, if, if you want to check out more about uh, Randy's know-how, come visit us at thoughtpartnergroup.com. Or you can even, you know, if you want to know a little bit about how you can perhaps make a bigger impact in this world, have a look at ResonateEngine.com. Two E's in the middle, ResonateEngine.com. Thanks, everybody. Don't screw it up. Mm-hmm.